reading which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. Paul writes, As you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, our visit with you wasn't a waste of time. On the contrary, we had the courage through God to speak God's good news in spite of a lot of opposition, although we had already suffered and were publicly insulted, as you know. Our appeal isn't based on false information, the wrong motives, or deception. Rather, we have been examined and approved by God to be trusted with the good news, and that's exactly how we speak. We aren't trying to please people, but we are trying to please God, who continues to examine our hearts. As you know, we never used flattery, and God is our witness that we didn't have greedy motives. We didn't ask for special treatment from people, not from you or from others, although we could have thrown our weight around as Christ's apostles. Instead, we were gentle with you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives because we cared for you so much. You remember, brothers and sisters, our efforts and hard work. We preached God's good news to you while we worked night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden on any of you. You and God are witnesses of how holy, just, and blameless we were toward you believers. Likewise, you know how we treated each of you like a father treats his own children. We appealed to you, encouraged you, and pleaded with you to live lives worthy of the God who is calling you in to his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Before I begin, I just wanted to um, continue and ask you to continue to please pay attention. The roofers are still here, and it's taken, I mean, when I guessed, what, a month and a half ago that we'd be done this week, I don't think we're going there, but that's okay. Um, so one, if y'all just keep an eye out for stuff that's blowing off the roof, for trash, for other things as you're driving in and out of the parking lot. Also, they haven't done this part of the roof yet. And so at some point, I'm fearing in the next couple of weeks, we're not going to have air conditioning on a Sunday morning. So just check your email, watch Facebook. We'll keep you all posted as we find out um, when the big day is. And so <laughs> it's a blessing, right? All in all, it's going to be a tremendous blessing. So it's just a minor inconvenience now, but I just wanted to let you all know so that you could um, be up to date and also keep an eye for that, please. Um, this morning, as we're continuing our look at Paul's letters to the Thessalonian churches, I want to invite you and to think about when things just seem too good to be true. When have you ever heard a time or a situation, or an opportunity in your life that you've been presented that quite simply just seems too good. Right here, right? It could be a letter that says you've won a prize. Just give us a call to claim that prize. It could be the email that you received that says, just click on this link and good things are going to happen. It could be the person who's actually standing at your doorstep or talking to you in the store saying, if you just do this, there's a deal, a bargain, there's an opportunity that just seems too good. And as you read the letter, as you read the email, as you listen to the person, or you think about what they're offering, I don't know about you, but I think most of us have a phrase and we think to ourselves, and it's what's the catch, don't we? Like this one. 
And so we set the opportunity aside, we throw the letter away, we politely say no thank you, or at times say no really, no thank you, and we go on our way. Friends, we know how this feels, and and we know how we ourselves deal with these types of situations. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to think of your reaction in those types of situations, of how you feel, of maybe how you deal with it yourself. As we think about this letter that Paul has written to the church in Thessalonica. In the ancient world that Paul and the Thessalonians lived in, it was no different than the world that you and I live in today. Just as you and I have opportunities to become cynical when we're presented certain possibilities and and other things that are in front of us, there is that same cynicism that the Thessalonian church and participants in that church had in their lives and they experienced. It was something that they faced. In the ancient world, the Thessalonians had their own version of traveling salesmen, like Harold Hill, right? Or traveling teachers, or philosophers who would have come to town and brought a special message. Whether that was a healing of some sort, some far-fledged potion, or something else from a land that was far away. Maybe they brought a fresh wisdom, or a fresh insight, or something it was, some secret knowledge. That if you just listen, if you just buy in, you'll be allowed an opportunity for that. And so these traveling preachers, or well, I guess they'd be teachers or philosophers, whatever they were. They had a circuit. So they'd arrive in Thessalonica or a neighboring community. They would share their message. They'd make a quick buck. And then they'd travel on to the next place, right? Because if they stay too long, then they stop making money. And so when Paul and Silas and Timothy arrive in Thessalonica, and then later they're in Corinth writing about this, I think it's reasonable for us to look at their situation and to look at at others who are viewing their coming into the community and see and think, well, yeah, there could have been a likely suspicion of them and their reason for being there. This suspicion was probably justified due to prior experiences that many of these people had had with other people that had come to town bringing a special message. And so the Thessalonians might have treated Paul and his companions like they would have treated any of these other traveling preachers or circuit riders or or whoever it was. They might have hoped or thought they'll be here, they'll teach, they'll do what they're going to do, their stay will be short, and then they'll move on. But see, there was a problem with this. Or maybe it wasn't a problem in terms of the gospel and in terms of the message that Paul was preaching and being a follower of Jesus Christ. But when Paul began to preach, people began to believe. And in response to Paul's growing preaching and the growing response to to what he was doing, people began to believe and their lives were changed. And so as this church grew, the, the opposition to this church began to grow. And, and we know that Paul and his, his companions were driven out of Thessalonica by a large group within the church, and then, or not within the church, but within the Jewish synagogue and community. And then they drove them even further, eventually where they end up in Corinth. And so in the scripture we've read this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Timothy has obviously returned from the Thessalonian church from, to Corinth. He shared the message of what he's learned and of what has happened with this early Christian community and, and how they've responded to Paul and these others having fled and left at threat of their lives. And Paul has learned that his opponents in Thessalonica are criticizing his work they're criticizing the change of life that's seen through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this morning's scripture, rather than taking each criticism he's learned of and dealing with it individually, he begins in chapter 2 instead by lining out how not to be a follower of God or how, not he sh or how he shouldn't have acted. So basically he's given the counter argument of what he was doing to say here's how I really wouldn't have been effective if I have done all this rather than him spending a lot of time on what he should have done. So Paul basically presents to the Thessalonian church, you know, what he wouldn't have done or wouldn't do in order to disarm those who continued to oppose him and his message and the gospel of Jesus Christ after he'd left that community. So he begins by talking how his time in Thessalonica is not a waste of time. It was productive. And it was productive not because of what Paul was doing, but Paul says the reason it's productive was because it was God's work. And so the work that he was doing was not Paul's work. It was not Silas's work. It was not Timothy's work. The work that they did was God's, even as they faced opposition, and even as he references the mistreatment that they had experienced by the Philippian church when they had led the, left the church in Philippi before coming to Thessalonica. Why would he have gotten beaten for something, Paul says, if it wasn't something that I believed in? Why would I have continued to preach the message of Jesus Christ with the possibility of the same level of mistreatment or even more happening to me when I came to Thessalonica among you, is what he's saying to this church. He's saying, think about it. Why would I take the punishment again for something if I didn't believe it? And so he writes, our appeal isn't based on false information, the wrong motives, or deception. Rather, we have been examined and approved by God to be trusted with the good news, and that's exactly how we speak. We aren't trying to please people, but we are trying to please God, who continues to examine our hearts. As you know, we never used flattery, and God is our witness that we didn't have greedy motives. We didn't ask for special treatment from people, not from you or from others, although we could have thrown our weight around as Christ's apostles. Is Paul not reminding the Thessalonians of what they didn't do? He said, we're not doing our ministry in vain. We're not doing our ministry in error. We weren't unclean. We weren't deceitful. Our ministry was not meant to please people by use of, of flattering words and making everyone feel great. Our attempt is not a glory to, uh, to seek glory for ourselves or recognition for what we're doing. Paul lists all of these things as things that can keep all of us from worshiping God. And so as we read his list, we can examine our own hearts and ask ourselves if there's any of these things that we seek in our worship of God and our practice of the Christian faith. And if there are, then, then we're not fully doing the ministry of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Read the list. If there's something that connects with you, then, then step back and think how it's something that's affecting your Christian walk in life. Whether it's... Um, 
you know, trying to please people versus pleasing God or, or using flattery or having greedy motives or throwing our weight around or whatever it was, expecting special treatment. Paul's saying, look at yourself to the Thessalonian church. Look at my ministry. See how we didn't do any of those things and see how effective we were. And then he lists five things or areas that he was in ministry and he wants to claim as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he lists these five areas and he's listing them basically to say, this is things that, that every one of us, whether you're a Thessalonian or whether we're sitting here in Clovis or whether we're wherever we are at, that these are things we can do to be in ministry. And so he lists positives for the Thessalonians to look at their own ministry and to see how he himself modeled those positives in his way that, that he was among them. And so in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, he says, Instead, we were gentle with you like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives because we cared for you so much. You remember, brothers and sisters, our efforts and hard work. We preached God's good news to you while we worked night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden on any of you. You and God are witnesses of how holy, just, and blameless we, blameless we were toward you believers. Likewise, you know how we treated each of you like a father treats his own children. Well, is Paul not saying to the Thessalonian church, remember how we were a part of you? Remember how me... And my companions interacted with you. We exhibited a gentleness in the same thread that a mother would be gentle to her child. Oh, in the Greek, actually, the, the mother, it says, is a nursemaid. And so that would be a slave that's paid to, to nurse and raise someone's child. And so what he's saying is, while a slave woman who's nursing her master's child is, is loving to her, it would be as if that slave was, was caring for her own child. And so he's saying, imagine that, that my degree of love for you was even greater than what you'd expect from the people that are caring for your own children. He reminds them that, that his ministry was, was not to do anything for himself, but was to impart the gospel. Not just through the words that they chose to speak, but he says, we lived our lives in a way that it, it was above reproach. And so when people were looking at our actions, when you think of our actions amongst you, what did they show you is what Paul's saying. He's saying we worked alongside you so that we wouldn't be a burden on you. We know from other New Testament letters and from the book of Acts that Paul uh, in his ministry as an apostle of Jesus Christ was also a tent maker. We know that he worked with leather and canvas and other materials to make tents and other things and, and that he often did that as part of his ministry so that he would not be criticized for accepting funds from the, other, from the church, from those outside the church. And so Paul's reminding the Thessalonians that his time there with them was a, was a time that, that he invested in them, but it wasn't something that that those who are opposing them could use against them. I mean, this is him basically going back to, to the first part of this chapter of this book. 
where he talks about those, those traveling teachers, about those messages, or where we're, we're reminded of that. About those who had this, this secret knowledge that they, they'd tell you up to a point and then you'd have to pay to get the rest of it. See, what Paul's saying is we could have demanded support. We could have demanded payment for the second half of what we were sharing. But they didn't. He says, and I want you to remember it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we didn't want that barrier, that to become a barrier or an obstruction from those who heard the gospel truth. I mean, basically Paul's saying we could have done this, but we knew it potentially would be a hurdle or a barrier. And so we chose not to do it. So that the message that you would receive from us, so that the witness that we would be offering in your presence and midst would be only the witness of Jesus Christ and his message that needed to be shared. Finally, Paul tells the Thessalonians, or he asks the Thessalonians to remember the many ways that he and Silas and Timothy supported the early church. He says, by remembering how we exhorted you, we lifted you up, how we comforted you, and how we charged all of you to follow Jesus Christ. He says, we did all of these things so that those who were new to the Christian faith would see an example of what a walk worthy of God looked like. They did all of these things so that the new Christians in the Thessalonian church would, would see how they could change who they were and what they were in order to form their very walk of faith in the same way that Paul and his companions had modeled for them. They were to walk worthy of God. Now Paul doesn't list a complete list of what that means. But we know what it means and we can ask ourselves, what, it is, what does it mean for me to walk worthy of God? And the first thing we have to do is to model our lives and our witness and our own spiritual walk is one that is worthy of God. Focusing on the way that, that we live our lives, knowing that we're sinful, but also knowing that we are dependent solely on the grace of God as he offers it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We have to focus on, on the ways that we can live so that when we look at what, what we're doing, we can say, by God's grace, because it's not my own, right? But by God's grace, my walk is worthy of God. But as Paul modeled to the Thessalonian church, that means we have to be fully invested in living our lives in response to God's action and God's grace on our behalf. What Paul is saying is, think back of our time with you there. We lived our lives so that only Jesus Christ would be glorified. We lived our lives so that only God would be proclaimed and our walk was worthy. And it was worthy so that those who listened to our teachings could focus on the message, could focus on Jesus, and could focus on the transforming power of the resurrection that we proclaimed. Amen.